Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I would encourage you, you pray about how you need to respond to what you heard today. Maybe God has spoken to you something, you need to respond. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to turn back to the Lord. Maybe God has revealed things to you and, and you didn't go up by revelation. He revealed and you didn't go. However, the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I do believe that when God speaks to us, sometimes we need, we need to respond in some way. And your response may be a, a thanks. Your response may be that you need to turn. Your response may be that you need to come to the Lord. Are you a hearer of the word only? In today's message from Pastor Bill, he teaches about being both a hearer and a doer of the word of God. God doesn't want his disciples to be inactive. Don't mistake grace, forgiveness, and compassion as passive. Pastor Bill explains that God calls his disciples to also be doers of the word. That means to put into action that in which he has called you to. God has given all his children the great commission to go into all the world and to testify of Jesus. Now, Here's Pastor Bill in the book of Galatians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. When you give an account before God, all that will be up for discussion. It's not like some people believe. God's not going to say, well, your good outweighs your bad. Do y'all all know that your good don't outweigh your bad here? Ain't none of y'all been that good, I promise you. On your good days, you bad still. You know, you thought a bad thought. You smell bad, something. You know, your good ain't going to outweigh your bad. That's not how it's going to go. When you stand before God, one thing. It's going to matter. He wants to know, what did you do with his son, Jesus? That's it. That is the most important thing in this life, that we, that we understand the gospel, what Jesus did for us, and that we receive it by faith. And so if you've received it by faith, then I rejoice with you that you are saved and you belong to the Lord and pray that you'll continue to grow and flourish in your relationship with him. And if you have not, then I would beg you that you wouldn't leave here today without asking the Lord to forgive you, which he's ready to do. And receiving him by faith, something that's it's, it's, it's available to everyone that wants it. All right. Move, let's move on. So Paul said, I, I, I communicated to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. He said, but privately to those who were of reputation, least by any means I might run or had run in vain. And so Peter had been preaching the gospel to the Jews. But Paul said, I came preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he said, but I went privately to those who were of reputation. Now, um, even when he went up to Jerusalem, there would be some of the Jerusalem council, some of these, there's some people of reputation. Paul said, look, I didn't, I didn't confront them publicly. I didn't go to them and say, hey, this is what I'm preaching. So I got with them privately first. And there's, there's wisdom in that. Um, Paul said, look, I, I'm going to get behind, I'll get with them privately, let them hear the gospel that I'm preaching so that they know where I come, where I'm coming from to those who are of reputation. Why? Because people of reputation could be easily offended. It could, it could. You know, if, if, if Paul is at odds with them unnecessarily, it could hinder his ministry. And I want you to note this, that Paul is exercising some wisdom here. He's like, look, I, I can. It's possible for in ministry guys to do the right thing the wrong way. Anybody ever been trying to share the gospel and you found that you got mad and talking to somebody tell the truth? Anybody ever got mad? Anybody ever anybody, anybody ever been drawn into the flesh while you, you started off teaching the gospel, sharing Christ and somehow you got lured into the flesh? Anybody had a fist fight? Tell the truth. No. No. Okay. <laughs> so it, it, here's the thing. Here's a, one hand went up too. No. So this can this can happen where it's it's we're doing the right thing, but we're doing it the wrong way or with the wrong heart. And so Paul said, "Look, I 
I don't want to. And, and when you do that, you run in vain. It's like, man, nah, I did all this for nothing. They, they can't hear me now. If I'm sharing the gospel and I end up in, a, in an argument and a shoving match, they ain't hearing my message no more. I, did, I ran in vain. I might as well said nothing. So it's important, believers, that we do the right thing the right way. Amen. And that's going to mean that sometimes there's discretion, there's patience, there's some temperance some self-control that we have to exercise that we wouldn't get in our own way with regard to sharing the gospel. So Paul said, look, I, I, I went privately to those that were of reputation. So Lisa, that I might I might run or had had run in vain, that I didn't do this for nothing. Uh, he says something similar in Philippians 2, 16. Paul was concerned about wasting his time. He wanted to make sure that what he did was effective. Verse three. He said, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, they were trying. They wanted Titus. He had Greek upbringing. And now I got to explain a couple things. They wanted Titus to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul was like, no. Interesting, because in Acts 16, one through three, you can write it down in your notes. Paul had Timothy circumcised so that for his witness sake. And so they're both have, you know, Timothy had a Greek dad. And they were going to minister in the area. And Paul said, you know, this is it's going to be a hindrance to what we're trying to do. Go ahead and be circumcised. so They don't have that against you. So we can go on and minister to them. Now, here's the difference. What Timothy was doing was, look, I'm becoming all things to all men that I might win some. What Paul was doing here was saying, look, they're they're wanting to make this a gospel issue. So we're not going to do it. They're wanting Titus to be circumcised to be saved. So we're not going to consent to that because we don't want them to be confused that, you know, that this is. This this is part of the gospel message. So they withheld. Does that make sense, everybody? So, you know, obviously, I'm sure Titus was like, thank the Lord. God, praise God. You know, I'm sure he was thrilled that he didn't have to go through with it. And a question that's often raised is how would they know anyway? Right. How would they know if you were or you weren't? You know, uh, I come to church here. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't know. We. How would they know? And there's a few different thoughts on that. Obviously, uh, a person had Greek upbringing it would be assumed that they were not circumcised. So they could tell people that they were or they were not. Usually the ceremony of circumcision, like baptism, was, I don't know how public it was, but there was usually a ceremony surrounding it where others were present, which is weird and, you know, but that's just what it was in that culture. And so there'd be others that could possibly vouch. Others suggest that they had open baths back in this era. And so, you know, I guess at the open bath, you know, it would be clear that you... You weren't on the team or whatever. So, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but, you know, it was an issue in that culture. So moving on. Thank God we're in a different era. Y'all need to, men need to thank God for the gospel. <laughs> so moving on. Verse four says, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. And so Paul says, what happened? There were false brethren. What's a false brethren? A fake Christian, someone that's not really born again. And they secretly came in. They knew what they were doing. They came in by stealth. They were like, let's go see. You know, we, we hear about the gospel that they're preaching over here. They went to spy out the liberty that the Christians had. And this is what people that are in, in bondage to legalism will do. They will spy out your liberty. They'll come to your house and say, like, oh, what is that? Is it, you watch that movie? 
Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. You know. Uh, you know. You you wear that outfit. You know. Wow. That's that's above the knee. <laughs> you know. That's what that's what will happen. That's what people that are prone to legalism. They, it's not enough for them to not do. They want you to feel bad that you're free. And so we want to be cautious about one being that person. It's that's the funkiest kind of believer you can be is a legalistic believer. It's just it's bad. That's just, it's a, it's a, it stinks. It's a, there's a stench on legalism because it, it sounds, smells like you think you're better, but you're not better. We, we, do y'all, we all came in the same way. Amen. We all were sinners. We all needed Jesus to die on the cross for us. We all need to be way thankful that he did it. And we ought to be able to worship together. I think if we understand the gospel right and we're taken out of the equation, God is nothing of me. I was never good enough. I'm still not good enough. I'm still fallible and fallen and broken. And you, But you love me. I think it would enrich our worship and our willingness to serve. Un, this God, you, you, you love me like this and have my life. Lord. What, what can I do for you? You know? I think it would it would impact all of our, our whole life if we understood that it really had nothing to do with me. I wasn't a great catch. I'm blessed to be on the team. I'm thankful that the Lord apprehended me. And so we want to be careful about becoming these kind of stuffy, legalistic, I don't, you shouldn't, because I don't, you know, type of believer. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable or encourage people to grow or to be strengthened. But you guys have all, I, I know I have dealt with some people that, as a pastor even, you know, I've dealt with guys where it's like, bro, that ain't even in the Bible. How you feeling so proud about, you know, outfits and, you know, uh, robes and whatnot. I had a guy like really wanted to have a discussion with me about, you know, I said, you know, I don't make clothing. Uh, well, well, brother, you know, you know, in Leviticus, I said, bro, we just talked to Leviticus. Ain't a priest in the building. So that don't got nothing to do with us. But the guy was like, well, you know, Leviticus, you know, God had a special attire, you know, that the, the priest was set apart, you know, and he was going through this whole thing. And I'm like, and he felt really proud about their outfits and how they presented themselves. And, and it was it was important that we look a certain way that we are set apart in our attire. And this is what I told him. I said, you know what? When Judas was going to betray Jesus. Right. And we all know that Jesus is top notch. Ain't nobody better than Jesus. When Judas was going to betray Jesus. Right. Now, if if Jesus, you think if that were the case, if, if your attire needed to be set apart, anybody would have been set apart would have been Jesus. He would have had a decked out robe, some super sandals, you know, like some all that. Right. Judas said, look, they said, how do we know which one it is? He didn't say the one with the blinged out robe, you know, with the extra, you know, he got his braids twisted on the side. You know, he's, he said, I got to go kiss him. The one that I kiss on the cheek. That meant that Jesus looked so common, just like everybody else. I got to go kiss him on the face for you to identify him. So if Jesus looked common, then I'm OK with us looking common. Amen. Amen. But those are the sort of silly things that church folk can, can begin to make enormous. And God is like, I'm not even into that. I don't even care about that. There are people that won't come because they don't have, you know, business attire, you know, and some of y'all have business attire because you're in business, you know, good, good, good for you. But what about everybody else? What about a coach? Can a coach come to church, you know, in his coach outfit, you know, moving on. So be careful. We don't want to be those people and we don't want to be brought under oppression by those people. And so something I love to throw back at people that try to bring me under is show me that in the work. Burden's not on me, burden's on you. Show me that. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that. Show me in the Bible where that's God's heart for Christians. I want to see it. Show it to me. 
make them go digging up. Cause a lot of times they be digging up stuff they ain't even read it for themselves. You know, yeah, you know, my, this is what they church told them or whatever. So, so we want to enjoy the liberty that's ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. So moving on, so false brethren came in secretly. They brought in, they came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. That was a goal. They want to bring us into bondage. Last thing I'm going to say on this is something that we have a lot of in our culture today is, is uh, there's reformed theology or, you know, there's, there's different words for it, Calvinistic teachings, reformed theology. In essence, there are people that believe this. There's a set of doctrines that they believe. And they believe that, you know, uh, God chooses who's going to be saved and he also predestines others to go to hell. So you have nothing to do with it. God is so sovereign that you don't even have a choice. You're either going to heaven or going to hell by God's divine design. You're just born to go wherever he decided you would go. It's so unbiblical, but there's a lot of people that believe it. And with, with that doctrine, they don't believe in evangelizing the lost because they're going to go wherever they're going to go anyway. You know, they want to talk to believers. So people that are... In Reformed theology, they would much rather sit down with a Christian and convince a Christian to believe as they do than they would sit with a non-believer and, and share the gospel with them because he's already going where he's going anyway. That's irrelevant. I want you to believe my set of doctrines. I want to bring you under this doctrine that I believe. So I just say that for y'all to beware of people sitting you down, trying to bring you on. Man, go talk to some non-believers. I'm saved already. I got mine. That's my take on that. Moving on. Verse five, it says, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul said, we didn't even give way for an hour to that stuff, that the gospel wouldn't be hindered. I told, you know, Titus, don't you dare get, you know, circumcised for these guys. We're, we don't submit to these guys, not even for one hour. There are things that we contend for and the gospel is something we should contend for. I always tell people, we don't want to argue about side things, go back and forth. But when it comes to the gospel, if the gospel is what you're contending over, you go ahead and contend. Do it graciously. Do it, you know, lovingly. Do it patiently. Still be in the spirit. But if you're going to contend for something in front of other people, if you're going to contend back and forth, contend for the truth of the gospel. Jehovah's Witness come to your door. Contend for the gospel. Maybe not for the person that you're talking to, for the person listening to you. Talk to them. I'm taking time at my door with Jehovah's Witnesses because I have one guy that come down my block. It's a dad and a son. The son is about 14. And I know the son is not convinced yet. And the dad is, is, is lightweight, you know. And so I'll be talking to the dad so I can talk to the son. I'm really talking to the son. The dad might be brainwashed enough already. He's just chosen to believe the lie. But this boy ain't convinced yet. I want him to hear enough rebuttals. I want him to hear his dad not have an answer for enough things to where it's like, my goal is not to make dad look bad. I just want him to say, wow, that's. Yeah, he actually, no, no, you didn't have an answer for that. Hmm, I wonder. I want to I put enough doubt in his mind that one day he'll, he'll consider the true gospel and, and get free to that. And so that the gospel might continue, Paul said, we didn't, we didn't give way for one hour. Verse six, but from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. Now, this could sound a little bit cocky. Paul's going to Jerusalem where all the Jerusalem apostles were, Peter, James, and John. The, these would be considered the, the, the big wigs, the heavyweights, the, the, the big leaders. And this is so important what he does here, right? God does, does God have favorites, y'all? Does God have pastors that are a big deal and pastors that are a little deal? Christians that are a big deal? Are you a big deal or a little deal with Christians to the Lord? You know what I mean? Does God have personal favorites? He does not. He doesn't. So Paul said, look, when I got here, those who seem to be something, 
right? People have made a big deal. They seem to be something. He said, they added nothing to me. Now, what he's saying is this. The gospel that I got from Jesus Christ by direct revelation, that's how Paul got it. When I got to these guys, they didn't add anything new that God hadn't given me. So he's not putting them down. He's just saying when we got together, I got with these guys who seemed to be something. They didn't add anything. I didn't, there was no benefit. I didn't get something from them that I had not already got from the Lord. And so and so that's what he means when he says, look, they, they, those who seem to be something added nothing to me. We're going to see, we're not going to cover it today, but next week, that Paul actually had to confront Peter on some hypocrisy. That Peter was, was giving way. Peter was trying to do both. You know, trying to appease the Gentiles over here and then live different when the Jews came over here. And Paul was like, nah, Paul was like that. Nah, we, we ain't about that life, bro. You got to be the same all the time. And Paul confronted him, we'll see next week, to his face. We'll talk about how to confront folk and, and, and how confronting leaders is different, you know, leader to leader and whatnot. So, so again, he said, those who seem to be something added nothing to me, verse seven. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And here we have two guys that God had kind of given a special vein or lane of ministry to Peter. God has said, Peter, you're going to be going to the to the Jews. God said, Paul, you're going to be primarily going to the Gentiles. Now, there'd be times where they would speak to, you know, Peter would speak to Jews or Gentiles. There are times where Paul spoke also to Jews, not just the Gentiles. But God said, hey, there's kind of a lane that you're in. I, Peter, I've kind of crafted you as a special vessel to be down here. Interesting, because when I look at Paul, I think Paul would have been the perfect guy to speak to the Jews. He was a Jew. He used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the culture. He went to the schools. And God said, no, you're going to go to the Gentiles. And even though in my mind, I looked like he would be sent here. God said, I'm going to send you there. And that's where he went. And that's where God was effectively using him. And so to that end, I would say for all of us here that we wouldn't resist. You know, sometimes we could want to do something or feel like I feel like I have this to offer. And so I feel like God should be able to use me like this because I know that. Be open to what God's just doing, because sometimes what God does doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that Paul would be called to the Gentiles, but that's exactly what the Lord did. Amen. So be open to the Lord moving in your life in ways that don't make sense to you. God many times does things that, you know, just, man, Lord, I don't understand why you picked that person or chose to do it this way. I don't know why John the Baptist got to be the forerunner for Jesus with his crazy clothes and wild hair, eating locusts and wild honey. But he was the guy. He was the guy that God called. And so we want to just go where he's calling us to go and do what he's calling us to do. So verse nine now says, and when James Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace of God that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And so he say hey, the, the leadership, once we kind of finished our, our powwow, they gave me and the guys, they gave us the right hand of fellowship. That means that they accepted us and, and we were, we were, you know, we, we came to, we came to an understanding. So when Paul had this meeting with them, they ended up on one accord and, and gave him the right hand of fellowship because the left hand of fellowship is not what you want. You know, that's that's a goodbye. The right hand is is we receive you in last verse. Verse 10 is they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. So the one thing they asked of Paul and his guys, said, man, we just want you guys to remember the poor. Remember, the Jerusalem church was struggling financially. They had been challenged. You know, they had that time where they lived in communal living and had everything in common. 
And because of the persecution that they were under there, they were poor. And so he says, uh, you know, as you're going to the Gentiles, would you remember us? And for you guys that went through Second Corinthians with us, that's exactly what Paul did. When we did the, that series called The Grace of Giving in verse 8 and 9, that was Paul raising up an offering for the church in Jerusalem by the Gentiles. And so this very thing that they said, hey, don't forget the poor, Paul. Paul said, man, that very thing you asked is we're eager to do. We want, we want to help the poor. We have a heart for that. And so if you wrap this up today as we close today's message, the couple things I want to challenge this with, and I'm going to pray. One, for any that are here, as Paul had to wait 14 years to get where he was going, you're here and you're waiting on God and you're feeling a little bit impatient about God's timetable. Sometimes it'd be healthy for you to go to the word and look at how God did it in different people's lives. And maybe you realize that you haven't waited that long yet. God's timing is perfect. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that all things are beautiful in his time. And so my exhortation to you that are waiting on God is that you would be patient, that God knows what he's doing. God does not make mistakes. God is not slow. He's not lack. He haven't forgot you. He's not not hearing you. Just wait on him for his timing. When he does it, it'll be right. And so for those that are waiting on the Lord, wait on the Lord. Second, see Paul as he saved and growing in his ministry and his calling that he had a different group of people that he was with. Now he's running with different guys, Barnabas and Titus, and we'll see later Timothy and different guys that Paul's surroundings of people were people whose minds were, they were minded to serve the Lord. And for you that are here who are, have a mind now to follow the Lord and serve the Lord, but maybe you have attachments to people that still belong to the devil. That's non-believers belong to the devil. And if you're attached that way, it's going to hinder you. Love them. I'm not saying we dog them out. I'm not saying we kick them to the curb. I'm just saying you, you need the second Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who are calling on the Lord out of a pure heart. You got to find some people that you can run with that are also pursuing the things of the Lord. People that can help you and encourage you and help you advance, help you to grow. Um, while you can still have a heart for those that you want to help, but your friendship circle needs to change if you're going to get where God is taking you. Next, Paul went up by revelation. And again, how do we get revelation? How do we get divine instruction from God about what he wants us to do specifically? We spend time with the Lord. And I encourage you guys that we would all be spending time with the Lord, that we would spend our, we spend time daily with them, letting them speak to us and reveal things. And lastly, and probably most importantly, the, the, the whole, this whole chapter, this whole book is a contending over the truth of the gospel. Paul said, I don't, I don't want this message marred in any way because it has the potential to save souls. And if you mess up this message, there'll be people that, that lose out on what God did for us. And so in this room, I'm sure there are people here that we have responded to, receive the gospel. We're, we're in the process of transformation. And I want to pray for us that God would strengthen us, that we would continue to let the Lord transform us because uh, the work isn't done until we get to heaven. And so some of us are in the process and I want to encourage you, don't resist the Lord. Just submit and, and yield and let God continue to make you what he wants you to be. But I also want to extend that there may be people here that listening and saying, you know what, I I don't know that I've really responded to the gospel in that way. I don't know that I've surrendered myself to God fully. And like we said, it's, it's available to everybody. The work has been done. We receive it by faith and we surrender to the Lord. And, and maybe there's people here today that you need to surrender. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your hearts with me. Close your eyes. And um, I, I would encourage you, you pray about how you need to respond to what you heard today. Maybe God has spoken to you something. You need to respond. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to turn back to the Lord. 
Uh, maybe God has revealed things to you and, and you didn't go up by revelation. He revealed and you didn't go. However, the Lord has spoken to you this morning. I do believe that when God speaks to us, sometimes we need, we need to respond in some way. And your response may be a, a thanks. Your response may be that you need to turn. Your response may be that you need to come to the Lord. But each individual, let the Lord minister to you. The book of Galatians, like many New Testament letters, addresses the problem of false teachers and the lies they spread. The Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that the Galatians church wasn't trusting the wrong people and the wrong messages as they grew in their faith. Today, sadly, false teaching is still a problem. Even in this modern world, there are people incorrectly interpreting the Bible, twisting it to fit their agenda. It's not the truth, but how can you know for sure? Today, you've taken a step in the right direction by spending time in the transforming Word of God. The more you know the Bible for yourself, the easier it will be to filter out the lies. Take all that you hear back to Scripture and discover for yourself what God is saying. Pastor Bill will continue his teaching through the book of Galatians next time you join us on A Transforming Word. In the meantime, you can access more of Pastor Bill's messages at CalvaryInglewood.org and on our Calvary Chapel Inglewood app. We'd love to hear from you too. Let us know what God's been doing in your life and how we can be praying for you. Give us a call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Would you also prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially? All gifts are welcome and appreciated, no matter the size. You can find out more at CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. Thanks for praying about this and thanks for tuning into A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.